Why choose a Sleep Number smart bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number smart bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 smart bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number special edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. And welcome to the Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. I have a doctor in psychology and am a licensed marriage and family therapist, a registered play therapist, university professor, writer, and mom of two. Each episode of the Parentologist Podcast focuses on a variety of topics related to parenting, family, children, and mental health. I'm glad you're here. On today's episode, I am so excited to have Michelle Tangeman from Thriving Toddler on the show today. She is a mom. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She is a BCBA, and she also just started co-hosting her own podcast called Parenting Understood. Michelle, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be chatting with you today. I know. Um, Michelle and I have known each other for a couple of years now, and we re- recently actually had an Instagram live together, and it was a phenomenal interview. Um, Michelle and I have very similar backgrounds as far as our expertise, and we come from a very similar mindset of evidence-based research and positive behavior supports. And um, so that's why I love talking with you, Michelle. Um, I just I feel like sometimes I'm talking to myself and <laughs> You validate the type of um, work that I do with children, and I know you do similar work, and we have kids around the same age, and so it's just always a pleasure to talk to you and hear your your expertise on toddlerhood and childhood in general. Oh, Kim, I love... We could talk hours and hours and hours about everything, so I know. I know we have only a little bit of time, so let's... Let's uh, let's jump jump in. We'll get to it. Okay, so let's talk about toddler behaviors. I know a lot of the clients I work with are little ones, and like I said, personally, I have um, a four year old at home, and just have been through those toddler stages recently. And I get a lot of questions about you know what is normal toddler behavior. You know what is normal developmentally for you know kids to go through at this age. What do you see in your work? Yeah. So in in, specifically in the toddler years, so I'm going to specify this age group that's generally in the literature, toddler years are specified between ages one and ages four. Um, And so during this period of development, a lot of these odd or strange or big feelings, tantrums falling to the floor, you know, sometimes a little bit of self-injury, like hitting their heads. Those are all relatively very normal in the toddler years and to be expected. Of course, every child is different and every child is going to externalize their big feelings in different ways. But I don't want parents to be too alarmed when they see um, some of these uh, really difficult, challenging behaviors if they haven't seen them before. And I would say, you know, on top of that, I think, okay, so the question, a, follow, a good follow-up question would be, well, when should I be concerned? And that that is, is if you're seeing it really persist long-term for months and months and months, and you're seeing maybe some deficits in other developmental domains. So examples would be, you know, specific to language, maybe their cognitive abilities or their social skills, um, or even like their fine motor or gross motor. So if you're kind of seeing red flags across 
multiple parts of development, then that could be an indicator where you're like, okay, maybe I'm going to talk to somebody. But generally speaking, in the toddler years, you should expect a lot of, uh, of, of the tantrums or meltdowns that last you know, anywhere from five minutes to maybe 30 minutes. Right, right. And I see that too. And I I think that's great to kind of normalize that for parents because especially if you're a first-time parent or maybe have a a second or third child that has a very different temperament and personality, you know, may display different types of behavior or different types of tantrums um, and whatnot. And we have to remember, and I know you've mentioned this recently in your work, that, you know, children's brains are still developing at at that early age. And sometimes um, their speech and language is obviously developing at that age. And sometimes they don't have the words to communicate how they're feeling. And so they usually act it out behaviorally than just sitting down and saying, mom, I'm hungry. You know, I need food or mom, I'm tired or mom, I'm sad because you were at work all day and I missed you. You know, they can't sit down and talk like that, you know, yeah, and, and and that's absolutely correct. And and I want parents to also think about this in this way. Behavior is a form of communication, right? Yeah, because they're still developing all of these skills and it's just easy. It's easier to act it out and show it out than to be able to express it. So I think that that's a, a beautiful addition to that. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I love doing the work I do with play, you know, so children can communicate even through, um, through playing, you know, and through messages, like you said, through behavior and behavior is communication. I love that you mentioned that. So, okay. So now that we've normalized some of the toddler um, behaviors, what are some of the coping skills parents can teach toddlers to help with regulation? The key here is to quickly check in with yourself. So, So what is it that you, what are coping skills that you engage in visibly that other people can see that are adaptive and that work for you? Because if, if children learn through modeling, just through natural observation, looking around and being immersed in their environment, they're naturally having these opportunities to learn. Um, And the key here in the toddler stage is to do it together. So this idea of co-regulation where you're helping them through these big feelings. Um, and, and, And that's not like a one size fits all approach, right? Sometimes there's nuances to behaviors and they're a little bit trickier. So I don't want parents to think like, okay, this is the overarching. Sometimes there are other variables at play, but in general, it's really important for parents to work together with their children to be able to work through their big, their big emotions. So coping skills that are, I think most commonly talked about are breathing exercises and there's, you can make them really, really fun. Like when you're sitting down and just naturally playing with your children, there's lots of fun opportunities to teach them various um, exercises. And I always find that working with toddlers, especially is to make it visual right? Make it visual. So some examples that I love to use is there's this wonderful, like expandable ball that you can find on Amazon. Um, and it it slowly expands and then it contracts, right? So it gets smaller. So you can use that as a visual metaphor for your lungs, right? Like obviously your child's not going to understand that the lungs are in the body, but Mm -hmm. the ball is a great external visual that you can open and close, open and close and do those breathing exercises slowly. Um, another popular one is rainbow breathing, you know, children love rainbows. Um, and so drawing a rainbow together and showing them that, you know, you inhale and at the apex of the rainbow, you start to exhale. And then you do this as you're drawing a rainbow. And so that could be a really fun way to, to teach breathing exercises. 
Um, the other one that I really like is actually drawing your hand. Um, so if you put your hand on a piece of paper and you take your, you could take your finger, you could take a crayon, um, and you start to inhale as you start the base of your thumb. And then when you hit the top of your thumb, you start to exhale. And then you slowly go through each of the fingers as you trace the hand. So it's another fun way because when you're experiencing emotion, um, that sends the brain sends a signal to your body, right? So usually we have some kind of physiological response, whether we're aware of them or not. And so those breathing exercises really support the nervous system and cal- calming the nervous system down so that they can start to calm down. And so obviously this is not something that you're born with. It's a skill that you develop. And I'm a firm believer that you could start teaching these skills in the toddler years. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily for a one-year-old, but definitely for a two-year-old. You could start to introduce it, make it fun, no pressure, just start exposing them to it. Yeah, I love those. Those are three really, really good examples. I love the ball, the externalization of the ball and that visual. Um, kids love visuals and it's a really great great way to learn at that age. Um, and it's tangible. It's something they can touch. It's something that they can, um, you know, having that tactile stimulation and that, um, you know, the sensory experience with it too. Um, I know sometimes I've used uh, bubbles, like bubble breathing, where they, you know, mm-hmm. practice, you know, um, deep breaths, like through doing bubbles. Um, or even just recently, I started using um, the straw technique where, um, they take a straw and you kind of decorate that the tip of the straw where, you know, that you actually can see, um, like construction paper or whatever you put on it, um, blowing kind of in the wind and they can see that the back and forth and that visual of their breath, you know, cause it's sometimes hard mm-hmm. to, you know, we can feel ourselves breathing and we can talk about breathing, but actually being able to see something move because of our breath is like a whole nother level, especially for, for children who, you know, love that, that visual component, like I said. So, um, so great coping skills. I love your examples. Thank you. That'll really help a lot of parents, you know? You know what? And, and, and and really it actually helps us. So, you know, I even find myself starting to kind of, my body starts to clam up and I start to clench when I know my children are starting to like have their big feelings. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's just a natural response as a parent. And so actually I find that doing those regulation skills myself, even though I think I'm modeling for for my children, I'm really actually also benefiting quite a bit from them and it's keeping my nervous system calm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't tell you how many times, um, I've, you know, been stressed or overwhelmed. And then all of a sudden I'm like, whether it's teaching in the clinic or teaching my children at home, you know, different coping skills. And it does, it it actually helps me regulate as much as it's helping the child regulate. So it is, it's a win-win for the parent and the child in, in that circumstance. So Um, Okay, let's talk a little bit and go back to, um, we were talking about big feelings and normal toddler behaviors. And I know you mentioned temper tantrums. And I know that is very common um, in the one to four age group. What can parents do to possibly prevent or minimize the length or um, extreme um, behaviors of temper tantrums? Yeah. So, um, first things first. Yeah. I want parents to expect them because I want you to know that they're developmentally appropriate, right? So if, if we know that they're going to happen, then what are the things that parents can do? Not, I mean, you can't always prevent them, but there are certainly some positive proactive approaches that you can take. Um, I think number one is being aware of what commonly triggers your children. I think most toddlers initially don't like 
to hear the word no. Um, and I'm not saying for you not to use the word, but I'm just saying being denied anything that the child wants, like if they can't have it right away, right. Can, can right. sometimes, um, quickly escalate and you're, and before you know it, your, your child's on the floor crying, crying. So, um, there's a couple things. So be aware of the, the, the common triggers that come up and then think about how you might want to approach it, um, before you anticipate the trick or the big, big feelings, big tantrums. Um, so that could be this technique called priming, right. Or pre-teaching. So I'm just kind of giving you a little bit of heads up, right. So, um, if your child, you know, wants a cookie and, but dinner's like right around the corner. So you could say, you know what, sweetheart, we're going to have um, a little bit of dinner and then we're going to save this cookie for later. Right. So that they kind of know what's coming up. Um, and if that's not an option, you know, I think it's really important to express to your child, well, this is why we're not going to be able to have the cookie. And it might be a good time to uh, provide some kind of alternative. Um, so I think giving, giving a little bit of a heads up goes a long way because I always say a predictable mind is a happy mind, right? Mm -hmm. So if your child can predict what's happening, if we as adults can predict what's happening, it's a lot easier to kind of work through the difficult situation. Yeah. Um, I think that would be my number one go-to suggestion. Another one that I really like is kind of using this idea of storytelling um, or not storytelling, but um, actually before I go into storytelling, I think it's important to also mention like making sure that you're aware of, um, you know, how are they sleeping? Kind of stepping back, looking at big picture. How are they sleeping? Are they getting enough rest? You know, are they well-fed? Is it possible that they're getting sick? You know, because I think that those variables also play into our moods just as a child or as an adult, but also our, our behaviors as well. Um, and then going back to storytelling, I, I like this idea of storytelling because and this is really great for if you know something really big is going to happen that might be upsetting to the child. So I think of big life events like um, people moving. I don't know about you, but I've got, uh, I've actually got a couple of friends that just moved to Orange County from Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And so they have little children like I do. And they're saying, Hey, you know, what can I do about this? You know, I, I anticipate, you know, a lot of tantrums around this because they're going to potentially miss their friends or miss their school or even miss the house. Right. So kind of talking about walking them through what this whole move might look like, um, that could also really prevent some big feelings and temper tantrums around, around, um, around that. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, I always try to tell parents, you know, sometimes it takes a lot of front loading, you know, at the beginning to, to set your child up for success and say like priming them before they go to the store, you know, we're not going to get any toys today. We're just going to go in and get, you know, the things on our list and you can even share what the list is and, you know, um, you know, talk about even the why, you know, a lot of times children, if they mm -hmm. just know the why, usually they'll be, you know, happy with the outcome of, you know, uh, let's say it's an, it's a no, but why are you telling me no, you know, mm -hmm. as long, as long as you explain that to them, you know, and, and sometimes it doesn't always work obviously, but sometimes just learning the why, or, you know, just getting that message, like you said, um, you know, before something happens, um, and then noticing all of those things, um, hundred percent, I'm actually um, posting a blog tomorrow, um, you know, on this, I'm calling it the ABCs of behavior, um, talking about, you know, that big fancy word antecedents, but the, you know, the motivations behind child, children's behavior, 
And looking at the big picture, like you mentioned, is so important to know, you know, did they just go through a big life change? Um, you know, are they getting enough sleep? Are they hungry? You know, are they, are they getting fed enough? You know, all those things can contribute to a, ch- a child's behavior, you know, beyond just, you know, let's say, you know, having a bad day or being in a bad mood or having these big feelings, you know? <clears throat> right. Absolutely. I think that that's really important. And, 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 and that kind of drives, especially as a little human, as there's, they're navigating their world and learning about it. Those are things that we can control as a parent, right? We're, we're looking at their environment and we're saying, okay, how can we set our child up for success? Right. Um, and just being proactive. Yes, exact proactive. I think that's that's the uh, uh, the word to take away from from that is just being proactive and being preventative and finding, like you said, those triggers that those children have um, in order to you know not make it worse. You know, if you have to say no to them or you know whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking about ways that parents can be proactive um, in strategies to help their toddlers. Let's talk about something else that I know sometimes can create some big feelings in regards to transitions, especially when it comes to a, um, you know, coming from a preferred to a non-preferred activity or maybe leaving something like the park, you know, what, what ways can we help parents, um, you know, transition their toddler to prevent some of those big feelings? Yeah. Transitions are hard. Oh, they're so hard, especially from something that's really fun, like the park to like, going back home, man, I don't want to go back home. I want to stay at the park. Yeah. So this is going to happen as well. I think that that's a common, um, you mentioned antecedent. Um, this is a common, common uh, trigger that happened that triggers tantrums. So here are my go-to suggestions that I would try first. Um, number one is lots and lots and lots of priming or giving that heads up, right? So children don't, toddlers, especially young toddlers are not going to understand this concept of time, but they do understand patterns. Um, and so if you're consistent in the pattern, like if you're good about doing a countdown, for example, and that's not like, again, not a one size fits all approach, but if you're good about counting down like five more minutes, four more minutes, three more minutes, two more minutes, one more minute, they're going to catch on to that pattern. And they know that when you get to one, that it's close to time to being leave, to, to leave. Uh, um, and so sometimes just giving that heads up can, can minimize the likelihood of a tantrum. Um, so giving a heads up. And then another one is if you wanted to, you could use some kind of visual timer. Um, visual timers are great. I really like time timer. Um, they and, and that's just a nice little way of showing like time is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And so there's something really powerful about a timer going off versus a parent telling you it's time to go. Um, so that's another strategy I like. The third strategy I like is having something fun that's kind of a buffer, like in the middle, right? So let's keep on this um, example of going to the park. You go to the park, it's time to go. You know your child's going to have a hard time. Well, maybe have something exciting to look forward to either at the house, but would be even better would be in the car. Um, so a personal example that worked really well for us is I had a goldfish crackers, goldfish crackers or something that we don't have very often, um, but it's something that I kept really special. And that was an easy kind of buffer, something to look forward to. Um, And that was also a natural reward for making that transition from the park to the car. Um, So I would say something kind of neutral in the middle to transition to, to kind of buffer that that transition. Um, And 
you know, another strategy, maybe not something you use right off the bat, but if you're, if your child is the one that consistently has problems, then maybe having some kind of visual support, right? Going back to this idea that we're, you know, children really like visual, um, I call them stimuli. I'm sorry. That's so, so formal, but, um, a visual representation of what to expect, right? So, Hey, you know, first we're going to go to the park and then when we get to the car, we're going to have goldfish crackers. Um, so having that little visual reminder, um, can also go a long way. Yes. I love that. And what I always love talking to you is when you have very practical, um, simple, easy to use strategies to give parents, you know, it's not theoretical, you know, uh, I, I love, um, just how specific you are and how it can, how it can uh, apply to so many, um, parents in a generalized way. So, and, and there's such great tips too. You literally stole the words out of my mouth when you were talking. I was like, Oh yeah, that's what I would have said. Oh yeah. That's what I would have said. So, um, you, you just have the best tips. And, um, like I said, very very practical things for parents. And I, I love that, um, you know, about your work. So thank you. Those are all really, really good tips. And I've used all of them. I've used the, the, you know, let's say a reinforcement, you know, getting into the car of, okay, we're going to leave, but you know, once we get in the car, you have this or a visual timer works um, a lot, really well for a lot of my clients. Um, and then, you know, just in general, that, that priming, I always do the countdown of, you know, five minutes, mm-hmm. four minutes, etc. because, um, it really does, it works. <laughs> so it's and, and you know what? I made a rule for myself in my house. And, you know, again, it, it's not something that maybe is a, is that'll work for all parents. But for me, I firmly believe that transitions always deserve, like they shouldn't be abrupt and they, they do deserve some kind of warning. Um, and I just think that that sets me up for success and it sets my children up for success for that transition. Absolutely. And they are hard, like you mentioned. And, you know, the great thing about your suggestions, you know, throughout this entire podcast is, you know, parents need to find out what's going to work for their child. And again, that might be different for child A and child B in the same home, just because based on temperament and personality. And that's why, you know, you and I, I know, give a lot of tools to parents of things they can use to put in their back pocket because if, you know, idea A doesn't work, you know, then they can go to idea B and so forth. And, you know, once they find what works for their child or for works for the parent the child collectively, then, you know, that's what they can continue to do. And if it doesn't work, go to the next tool and, you know, see if that works as well. So I think that's, that's great that you've, you've given multiple ideas um, that parents can use. And so they can check and see what works, or maybe they need all three of them and that's fine too. Um, you know, uh, I feel like having more knowledge and more um, practical, you know, things that parents can use is better than, you know, feeling like they're stuck and they don't know where to go from, you know, A to B. So, you know, I love, of all your suggestions. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit about mindsets. Um, and what type of mindsets, I know I've seen this in your work, um, you know, recently of the mindsets that parents should have when they're raising a toddler. Can you go in a little more depth about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think mindset, parent mindset is really important when you're, you know, first, like, let's just assume you're really clear on your parenting values and what's important to you and how you want to raise your children. And, you know, and I, and I think of, you know, one of the number one questions I ask, um, you know, some of my clients and even some of the parents that reach out to me on Instagram is, well, what's important to you, you know, and, and what's important to your partner and how are you guys coming together and talking about how you guys want to parent your children? How do you want to respond to these different behaviors? Because the toddler years is where you're kind of setting, setting, um, the foundation 
um, in terms of like when we talk about discipline, right? Discipline meaning to teach our children. And so I think it's really important to have those conversations with your partner so that you, you have a solid foundation because I believe the number one most important thing parents can do is be on the same page. Because if you're both doing the same thing, you're going to have the best outcomes possible for your children. Um, because again, going back to this idea of a predictable mind, a, a predictable mind and, and having a consistent environment is where our children thrive. So that plays into mindset because if you and your partner, parenting partner, are on the same page, then you create this stable, consistent environment, right? Because the reality is, is if you look back, each of us look back at the way that we were parented, there were a lot of probably positive things that you remember. You know, I really like that my mom handled certain situations this way. And then I also reflect like there were situations where I think she could have done a much better job, right? Um, so... And I think that, and, and what what behavior analysts call that behavior analysts call that default technologies. We those are technologies that we are that were done to us. So, for example, yelling is a one is that comes up quite a bit. Um, and so, you know, p- yelling is obviously not recommended, but it happens. And so, I don't want parents to feel a lot of guilt, but I also want. Pa- to empower parents and let them know that there are lots of practical evidence-based tools out there that you can learn, that you can try. And I think that if you have that, then it sets you up for success. So here are some key things I want parents to know, specifically parents with toddlers. I want you to know that most behaviors are normal, okay? So they're going to happen. Be equipped to be able to address them in a way that feels good to you as a parent. Um, This is where that values work comes in. I want you to know that your toddler doesn't misbehave on purpose. They're not doing it to you intentionally. In fact, it has nothing to do with you. It's this, the fact of the matter is, is their brain is under construction. It's developing. They don't know how to regulate. It's our job as parents to help them regulate. And then, and something I already mentioned, but I'll say it again, toddlers thrive when their environment is consistent and predictable. Okay. So I'm not saying let's follow this rigid plan, right? Like, that, that is not what I want to happen. In fact, that could that could create problems in itself. But have a loose schedule, right? So we're, we're in the thick of summer right now. It's beautiful out. Kids are not likely not in school. Um, so with that said, do you have a rough idea of the things that you want to accomplish? Like for me, I know that I want to do at least one cooking activity today with my, with my older toddler. Um, you know, so she kind of knows roughly this is what this is what's going to happen throughout her day, so that she feels so she feels good, like she knows what's coming up next. Um, and if there's something that she's requesting and we can't do it today, then I can say, okay, let's look at the calendar because now she's approaching four, so she's starting to understand. Um, you know, kind of this idea of, of a little bit of time in the calendar. And so I show her on the calendar and we do it together and we plan together. Um, and there's just natural learning opportunities when you engage them in those conversations and they know what's happening. Um, and I also want parents to know to be, I want you to be your child's emotional coach, emotion coach. So again, this idea of their brain is under construction. So you're teaching them, you're providing opportunities uh, for them to practice coping skills. Um, That's something that I want parents to try and and, and work on um, together. 
Um, And the last thing is engage and play with them daily. Play is like the best number one way to learn new skills, but also to master new skills. So um, for those parents that are on Instagram that follow parenting accounts, you may be well aware of this idea of special time. So you know, this time is really important, even if it's five, 10 minutes a day where you're just sitting down and you're just giving your undivided attention. Um, I think we, as parents, as adults get um, easily distracted and we want to bring our phones in. I encourage you to put the phone away, sit down, engage in age appropriate activities, and you'll find that there's lots of natural fun opportunities, learning opportunities that take place. Yeah. And of course, you're again, speaking the same language. Um, I love all of those, um, you know, recommendations, um, for mindsets for parents, uh, again, very applicable, um, to, you know, a lot of the parents I work with, um, a lot of parents that, you know, I also have met online. Um, and then just even myself as a parent, just as a good reminder, even, you know, for myself, um, to be in those mindsets, um, when it comes to being with small children And, um, yeah, I started, you probably saw that I started a a hashtag, put your media away in play. And I strongly believe, yeah, I strongly believe that, you know, I recommend that too. And I, you know, recommend obviously play every day, if not setting a specific time, you know, once a week to, um, you know, to play, to be on the same level as your child, you know, be eye to eye, you know, whether it's sitting on the floor with them or at the table together or whatever it is, even just outside getting fresh air, you know, running around the backyard, um, you know, but to, to literally turn the TVs off, put the iPads away, turn the, you know, turn your, put your phone somewhere else. Um, and like you said, be very mindful and intentional about the time you're spending with your child. You know, 10 minutes can go a long way for, um, especially a toddler, you know, to have that one-on-one time with their parent. Um, and then even for older children, I usually mention, you know, or even toddlers, but, you know, dating your children and having time where you actually, you know, especially if you have um, one and or more, especially if you have um, siblings, you know, to take time out for each of your children individually and actually spend some one-on-one intentional time, you know, with each of your children, um, you know, can just go a long way. That that little bit of effort and that little bit of time really means so much to children. Like you said, there's so many benefits to play socially, emotionally, mentally, cognitively. Um, you know, it's it's such an important part of, of parent-child attachment and relationships. So I'm glad you mentioned that. And that you value it as much as I do. So yes, absolutely. It's crucial. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Michelle, for joining me today. Um, It's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Where can parents find you? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram. I'm pretty active. You can find me at thriving.toddler. I also, uh, like you mentioned, I started a podcast and that's um, Parenting Understood. I also have a website, um, michelletangeman.com, thrivingtoddler.com, and parentingunderstood.com. I know that's a lot. I'm going to combine them all, but I'm in the process of doing that. (laughs) Thank you so much, Kim, for for having me on today. Thank you so much for all of your knowledge uh, and wealth of knowledge for all the parents out there. Have a great day. Thanks. Thank you for joining us today. I can't wait to have you back for more. Make sure to subscribe to the Parentologist podcast so you don't miss an episode and make sure to tell your friends. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.